All of us are on a journey of becoming, a complicated journey in pursuit of truth and deeper knowledge of the divine. Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing and that it can be a painful and difficult journey and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson and I too am on a journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my journey and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith but it is perhaps one of its greatest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson. And with me today is actually two returning guests. I think one of them, this is their fourth or fifth time being on. The the other gentleman, this is his second time being on. So with me today is Dan Koch and Matt Carter. Dan and Matt, how are you guys doing? I'm doing excellent. I'm glad. I'm just glad that Carter finally showed up. You know, it took a little while there. Had to call him and bug him about it. Yeah. Well, when you got when you got ADHD friends, you know, you just you learn. I don't I don't even claim the label, you know, but, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's basically most of my story of life is, you know, avoiding labels and, and from other people and diagnosis is just, just like that. But it's certain that um, is a weak area of mine is being where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to be there. I can't yeah. I've been working really hard on it, too, and um, was particularly embarrassed that I failed on this. One. Oh, so, no, you know, I'm not just where I am. I'm not trying to actually make you feel shame. I'm just giving no, you some okay. shit. It's all I don't right. care. It's, it's by far the biggest weakness I have is that type of stuff. And I've been really working on, you know, and I think it relates to our conversation today, but I've developed as it, as we'll talk about in Christianity, I have a different level of mindfulness that I can approach that with. So it's important for me, you know, I'm starting to, instead of just Christianity, um, there's just another layer of that for me now. So it's just, a, it's always a good opportunity to grow or name or say it out loud. That's, you know, my thing. I yeah. Mean, well, instead of shaming you, Matt, if it makes you feel any better, cause I'm not cold hearted like Dan, I was going <laughs> to chalk it up basically to like, you're a superstar celebrity Christian guy, you know, you're hanging out with all the big shots doing celebrity stuff. And so, but see, that's not, yeah. fa- you know, I, I actually, and I truly mean this. I, I, I don't say the word busy. If somebody asks me how I am and yeah. I don't like it, but what people always tell me, they know how busy I am. And I know they mean you never get back to me. That's what they mean, but I'm not busy. I promise <laughs> I'm not busy. I swear to God, I'm not busy. Like I'm always not busy. You know, but it, I, there's plenty of things on my mind or plenty of things I'm involved in, but it's, you know, busy isn't really, I just don't feel busy, but people, you know, I don't think it's a great excuse to tell people you're busy either. It's not a good excuse, but Uh-oh. you're, yeah. a, you're a very, so listeners, if you don't know this, Matt and I have our real life, good friends. We've been friends for uh, 15 years now, 
but became more close friends in the last five or six years here in Seattle, where we both live. Uh, but you, uh, you do have a very high capacity for like getting things done and being involved in projects. I bet you that the amount of productive hours per week that feels to you like busy is higher than the number that would feel to me like busy. Hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm always in a state of, uh, frenetic all, energy. I, I, yes. And so there's lots of outputs from that, but that doesn't mean that there's something I'm supposed to be doing. There almost never is something I'm right. supposed to be doing almost never. Like there's no, I, you know, I'm just yeah. uh, independently out there buzzing in circles, doing different things all the time as they pop up. It's been a kind of a disaster for a long time. <laughs> I'm trying to work on it. <laughs> I'm trying to get focused on one or two things and do it over time. And, but I basically, I've just always been buzzing around doing the most interesting thing I can find to keep my, normal energy level busy you know yeah but that sounds not, right but it's not that there's things i need to be doing usually well you you just finished editing a new emory album right or mm -hmm. finished producing whatever the right lingo for that is mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome man what i've heard from it so far has been fantastic i'm excited for that yeah that was a really good project but that's one where it was a lot of distributed uh tasks i've started to distribute more tasks um so it was really collaborative with chris keen who plays in our band did a ton of work on it creative work very um, talented from the, producer from the writing himself. and post-production yeah. he's like every phase and then josh yeah. did a good amount of the uh audio capture and sets the mix up you know so we've got a real collaboration thing that's really really fun that's what on. i need to learn man yeah. collaborating and uh delegation so bad at that yeah yeah also matt just one more annoying question before we jump in uh how was playing furnace fest man like what was it like to be back doing that shit well i mean there's no short way to have that but it was like i mean like it's uh it's you know it's what <laughs> It may be our it may be our go-to metaphor for the conversation today but it was certainly transcendent wow yeah i i have not felt that much FOMO in years that I couldn't yeah. be there for that. I was just reading to my wife, Jaffrey, the list of the bands that she would know that I love, you know, so this is not the bands that she doesn't know that I love that were playing there. And I was like, can you believe this is happening this weekend? And I'm not there for it. Uh, it was, it was tough. I've been watching YouTube videos from people's fucking cell phones, which is a very poor, substitute uh but i've just been trying to get whatever fix i can from it well um you know i don't want people to feel bad but it's but one thing that's encouraging is that it was like not only was it cool but the fact of the amount of youtube and instagrams like what a fucking positive use of social media sharing that was because yeah. if you're feeling that i mean you've seen a lot of footage of concerts it doesn't make you feel that but this was special and yeah. even by the time it gets to you, because the layers of distributed meaning and our mixed reality we all live in and being able to see it through my point of view, through my Instagram with the other people you knew, even there, you had a much deeper connection to some remote piece of media. And that's very special. So the fact that it was special means it gets even more special and easy to share, which makes the effect of having something special even more valuable than anybody almost ever realizes so pretty cool pretty cool stuff i mean it's fundamental you know spiritual stuff going on there for sure yeah right on man well cool um thank you 
both again for hanging out today. I appreciate it. Basically, uh, the gist of why I wanted to invite you guys on is because recently for myself, so within the past, how long ago was March? March, April, five, six months. So like back in March, I stopped doing what I had been doing since I graduated college, uh, which was back in 2016, uh, which was being a full-time vocational pastor. And I stopped being a pastor uh, and started working in a brewery. And based like there was a lot that led up to that, that I've talked about in other places. Listeners, if you're interested in that, I did an episode uh, with Greg from Second Breath. It's a, a few episodes back called Deep Knowing. I uh, go check that out. I go, I go into it in, in more detail there. But basically, I've been in like this weird space more recently where there's been nights where like I've gone to bed like, dude, I don't I don't even know if God is a thing like I which is crazy to me because I have experiences that I attribute to <laughs> interacting with whatever this thing is we call God. Um, and I've, I started questioning things that I haven't questioned in the past. For me, my realm of questioning always um, came within the understanding that I was always going to center Jesus and everything that I was doing. And that was the thing that was going to hold me together. And I could question everything else. Uh, but then even questions about Jesus started popping up and, and really tearing things apart. And um, I haven't been in a church service since I literally since the last day I worked at a church I have not gone to church um I don't listen to any Christian music I don't do anything anymore that somebody would look at my life and radically identify like that person is a practicing Christian and so I've been asking myself like to what extent if at all can I meaningfully call myself a Christian and I think that's an interesting question because depending on who you ask, you're going to diff get different answers. I have friends that have been telling me I can't call myself a Christian for like six years now. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Right. And so that's kind of that's kind of the, the gist of it. And so I, I'm not going to ask a question. I'm just going to kind of let that hang and see if either of you have anything to comment on that, if you guys find yourself in that story at all or, or anything like that. Well, I certainly had the same experience where people were saying to me that I wasn't Christian, you know, way before it ever felt like any kind of question in my mind that I was. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then at some point you go then at some point down that spectrum, you go, well, wait a second, maybe I shouldn't call myself that. But th yet I'm still, you know, what's core beliefs for me that remain at some point you do go, well, how well does this align up with what other people mean by that word? or whatever so and then at some point maybe you even to me it feels like a let go even on a higher level than that to where you know it's i guess that's fine to say not christian or something like that but that, but that's all just a semantic spectrum to me because i may have never been a christian according to a lot of people <laughs> in, ever at any point in my life many people you know there's a point of view that holds that so yeah <laughs> yeah i mean like for me, I've, I've been trying to think about this, Josh, the last week or so in preparation. And I even was kind of talking about it in my own personal therapy session, which got done an hour and a half ago. <laughs> so it's kind of good timing. Um, but some of it is around like what counts as a definition of the word Christian? Like, so th there's a boring answer, which is 
yeah, I'm still a Christian because I consider myself one, meaning the center of my life still has to do with Jesus of Nazareth and the religion slash wisdom tradition that sprouted up around his life teachings, death, and then the people's experience of his resurrection. Now, a lot of people, that's not going to be good enough for them. That doesn't make me a Christian just because I say that. But so that's what a lot of it is about for me. Like, then there are deeper questions of like, will that always be the case? You know, will I always center sort of the the nuts and bolts of my life around Jesus? You know, will will some other religion be become front and center for some period of time? Will will I find something else that replaces, you know, the Sermon on the Mount as like my primary understanding of the morality of the world? Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe that seems pretty unlikely to me, um, but it's possible. And but again, I, I'm kind of with I think that Carter is really on to something about the word, the way it's used, what people think it means. And I would like to I'll throw one more factor into the mix that I'm honestly having a really hard time with personally. And this is what I was talking about in therapy partially is it seems like in the context in which I find myself today, even though I have many friends who are like progressive Christians who aim to be sort of the opposite of what what white evangelicalism has become, I still feel a lot of pressure, like linguistic pressure around that word Christian, that it, it has become in many parts of America something that I, I so thoroughly do not identify with. Uh, where I just, I just literally think that they're in, in many ways, they are the bad guys. Like I don't even like good guys, bad guys language. I think it's reductive, but like, it's true. Like they're like, they're the people in the world other than maybe the Chinese government, like most willing to destroy the planet or like most willing to subvert democracy. Like this is, this is hard for the, for me in my mind with the word Christian, when I, when I recognize stuff like that. So that's a little bit of the landscape for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, on top of all of those things too, something that's, that's um, been difficult and Dan, I'd be interested to hear some thoughts on this as well. Uh, just since you're working towards being, you know, becoming a psychologist um, part of the issue I had originally when I stopped working at a church was I, and I had, a, I worked this out through like spiritual direction and stuff, but I had so identified myself with Josh as a pastor. That was my identity. I held that to be the core of who I was. And um, when I started to, to actually say, well, no, I don't think I really want to do this. I'm going to become a bartender. Um, there was a lot of internal work that had to happen there because I literally, I thought that was the core of who I am. Josh is a pastor. I identified myself that way. And breaking that, making the distinction and coming to the realization, like, oh, no, that's not the core of who Josh is. That's a, a stream I can step into. That's a hat I can put on. Um, but it's not the core of who I am. That was a major thing that I had to go through. And currently, what I'm experiencing now feels like another identity issue. This thing that I've been growing up being taught equals Christian doesn't line up with my experience and how I <laughs> would call myself a Christian. 
if I can use that word, and that's the question I'm asking, if my if my understanding and experience doesn't line up with what I've been taught equals Christian, is that is that a problem? Should I just break that label? Is that okay? Maybe, maybe not. But again, it, it feels like it's an identity issue. I'm I'm I have, I'm having an identity crisis. Like what the what the hell is happening? And I think that adds another interesting wrinkle here because it's it's deeper than just correct belief, creeds. You know, do you go to church? Whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, identity I, crisis is is definitely that you know that's pull that right out and just jump on that because that's that's what is that's what seems to me to be fundamental about everything going on that all the troubles in the world are including people's identities and what they know about themselves as reality gets crazier um what your identity is is now being tested like even if you thought you could just be a christian and sit still until you die that's now being tested even if you didn't want to change the landscape's moving out from under you in a way that your everybody's identity is being tested and there's no doubt about it i think i think you're totally right yeah that was what jumped out to me too josh there's like there's the abstract question which is maybe less interesting which is like who gets to define the word christian and like technically what do you have to believe or do or you know okay fine i mean whatever <laughs> that that that's interesting that might be interesting in a conversation with an individual person about what they think it is because it might reveal something about them that would be interesting for instance like if if it was your client or something like you could you could use that as a way to get to the more personal and like emotional and story related parts of it but that's the part that's more interesting to me and that i actually relate to more as well you know i'm a progressive christian podcaster i'm a public person talking bi-weekly unless you're a patron then it's weekly about uh christianity right in one way or another and so that's my identity too and i have built my career such as it is on that fact uh and so as i struggle like one of the things that i'm realizing this is like this is you're getting some fresh content here josh this is as of last night uh through a conversation like a like a a kind of a session actually a practice session with one of my one of my um fellow students that like i there's a part of me that feels like i'm responsible for saving christianity <laughs> which when i say it out loud is patently absurd <laughs> right oh yeah, carter i knew you were gonna absurd. i knew I mean, you were gonna I, love I mean, that i'm the same i have the same i've said the same thing i've thought the same thing my grandiosity it matches yours it, you know yeah so yeah. it's like so i feel responsible to like articulate or help articulate like the version of christianity that will survive into the next right. millennium yeah. as if that's my job which is insane to actually think of course that's not my job but where's that coming from why do i feel that pressure is this because of like how my dad is is it because of how i am uh when, when did i take that mantle upon myself i don't think anybody gave it to me i think it's more likely it came from my own ego probably than that i feel some sort of external pressure to save christianity uh but like that's that's one of the kind of angles that i'm coming at it from as well i don't think that's wild though i really don't think this is absurd it's just absurd to say it out loud it's just kind of absurd to admit it but it's right. it is the obvious ob 
obvious thought to have that the thing that's most important, you got to do whatever you can for it. That and then to and then to people that are you know competent at some level, and they go you know you can't help but aspire. I mean, the human condition is to aspire for what's important. I mean, that's striving for what's good. That's all that means. Yeah. And then you some some of us get to thinking over reductionizing that or trying to quantify it and measure you know, and then you get too far down that road and you're not mentally healthy at all. You know, and that's what it describes many pastors, for instance, in my view. So it's how you manage that desire to save Christianity and save the world, do everything good to maximize that. How well you manage that. Um, and maybe ego is a part of it, of course. But, you know, um, it's, it's largely mismanaged. Just what I'm the more the more um, you get the external uh, validation that you're on the right track, the harder it becomes to manage. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And, I, and too, Dan, I think I think it's funny that you you voice it that way because I I mean I identify with that deeply. And um, I mean part that's part of why I wanted to start a podcast in the first place. Um, or like at least yeah, like I said, at least a part of it. But also too, I noticed that like podcasting, doing this podcast specifically, was way more fun or felt way more edgy when I was a pastor in a church. And like, I had students that would come to church and I'd be like, oh, hey, you know, check out my podcast, da, da, da. Like it, it felt a certain kind of way. Um, and now that I'm outside of that perspective, it's now like, oh, like I'm just an, a, another voice amongst the many. Um, and also sometimes I feel like I'm just having just stupid, redundant, repetitive conversations that you know there's a million other podcast episodes out there about this and like people that i work with now who are outside of the church they don't give a shit about the questions that i'm asking and so i'm like does this really matter <laughs> i don't know so again it's like another that's a, a, again a part of the identity thing um and like but why would that have like I don't, I don't, this is going to sound like I'm saying it's stupid. I'm not, I'm at, I'm, this is a non-rhetorical question. Why would that have anything to do with your identifying as a Christian? Why do you think like whether or not you're doing it as a pastor and it's edgy or you're doing it because it's something you're interested in as a brewer or bartender and none of your coworkers care about it. What, what does that have to do with you identifying as Christian or not? Um, I'm not sure that it does. Um, although, I mean, I feel like there has to be some connect for me somewhere if I were to, you know, since I articulated it that way. Um, what's the connection? I mean, I guess part of it is like recognizing that some of the things that I had been arguing for, for example, women should be allowed to be pastors or mm -hmm. LGBTQ inclusion. These are things that the community at large now, oh man, I'm going to get myself in trouble for this because it's an <laughs> overgeneralization, but it is, these are some of these questions are things that the community at large seems not to have so much of a problem with, at least the people I've been interacted with. Of course, gay people are people. Of course, women can do stuff that guys can do too. And so like, I'm like, okay, so if I'm, if I'm saying these things now, and then these other people, these other voices called Christians have been fighting against those things, does that mean that these people who aren't Christians and who identify as atheist or agnostic or spiritual, but not religious, whatever, 
they're on the same page as me, does that mean I'm more like them or like these other people that I've been trying to voice against, you know, from the inside, so to speak? So it's like advocating for progress is maybe what I'm hearing is that that's a fundamental part of your identity as a Christian. And when you were in a ministry context, then the type of conversations that you wanted to have that you naturally thought to have on your podcast accomplished that goal. They were advocating for progress within that community. But now you're in another community that in those areas left that stuff behind 25 years ago and they don't need you to advocate for that particular kind of progress anymore because basically everybody is already there. So you don't have that progress advocate bit anymore and that was maybe in some sense tied to your identification as a christian yeah i i mean i think that that seems like a good way to put it at least because if you want to go and use super christian kind of language and talk something about like the kingdom of god uh you know and and our role as christians to manifest the kingdom of god on earth as it is in heaven I guess part of what I, I saw myself doing within the realms of a church <laughs> was trying to bring about my understanding and idea, my vision of, of the kingdom of God. And then I stepped outside the church and was like, wait a minute, some of these things like that I thought are a part of the kingdom of God that aren't present here in the church, like I found them out here, like yeah. in this bar, like what, what is that? But you're going to find a lack of other things. Absolutely. Like, so, so I wonder if it's possible to reframe, reframe that goal. Um, and I, I actually, I think the kingdom of God language is better than the progress language yeah. because progress only makes sense if you're in essentially a conservative space. And then your job is to make it more progressive. If you think that that's the direction of the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God language is better because it's it's multi-directional and multi-dimensional. So you what you might be experiencing, and I'm just throwing this out there, is not so much a crisis of your Christian commitment, but that you have to re-figure out what does it mean to to bring or instantiate or advocate for the kingdom of God in this new setting. You knew what it meant in the old setting you don't totally know what it means in the new setting because they've already sorted out the things that you were working on in the old setting but what have they not sorted out it's not like it's not like american coastal liberals <laughs> live in a utopia we have other shit to figure out right yeah. and the kingdom of god you know the way that god would want people to be in relation to each other in relation to the earth that's not settled we're still raping the earth to like prop up our wealthy lifestyles. We're still, I mean, there's, we have callousness towards, you know, all kinds of groups of people. I mean, there's all kinds of issues that are not where the, the kingdom of God is not instantiated in these spaces either. Carter, you get in here. Well, what do you want me to get in and react to? I don't know. I'm what sure you've got some thoughts. It's been a few minutes. I do, but I, I, I want, I don't want to lose the thread of what, um, I don't okay. want to jump. I'm, I'm yeah. making my mind stay with what you're saying. So, okay. Josh, what do you think about, give you about yeah, that. well, Josh, what do you think about that? And then maybe we'll kick it to Carter. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, and I think to a great extent true, because I mean, there are things like, obviously, if you step back and look at the world as a whole, or even for me, we'll say my community here in Baltimore City, Maryland, um, it's very self-evident that at least what Jesus's vision of the kingdom of God is not present fully in Baltimore City. So it can still be brought about. Um, it's not that people outside of the church, you know, have quote figured it out or anything like that. Um, so, I mean, I think I yeah, just want to throw this out there and we don't have to spend time in it, but I wonder if what you are suffering from and that I really relate to is that for, as long as we, as we stayed or stay at least somewhat connected to white evangelicalism, it's just low hanging fruit. It's yeah. just like anybody can participate <laughs> in solving this stuff because it's really fucking obvious what needs to be done. <laughs> right. You get out of that and like you start volunteering with a local advocacy organization and all of a sudden you go, oh, my gosh, this shit is complicated. I don't know. Like we've tried these things. I don't know if that will work. I don't know if this mayor will be better than that mayor. And it gets messier. Whereas you're like, Oh, let's just get these evangelicals to accept gay people and women. Like that's like an obvious first step. And and so <laughs> yeah. it's easier to know what your place is in that. That's a good point. Cause there's big breakthroughs. Like you can, you can tell whenever you're in some territory and that's, what's really freaky about right now where there's these, it's these, it's a something like gay marriage is like a, like, that's a very charged issue. It's not one that's overlooked, and yet it's able to move in giant amounts all at once, which just shows you how much the territory shifts has shifted under people, and there's pent up demand for change, you know, and stuff like that 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 nobody was voicing because of the social control elements that these systems tend to carry with them, the group think that people are afraid to speak up about or challenge or ask questions in those spaces. So you get these giant areas where the territory map don't match. Yeah. And then you have this giant swing like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're fine with gay marriage. We didn't really care. Yeah. It was just nobody, everybody's afraid to speak up. Yeah. 20 so point, a 20 point swing in eight years. And even the president himself, Obama, going from non-affirming because he didn't feel like he could say it without political consequences. Of course he was. Oh yeah, you know it's all nonsense. But it's, so that, yeah, but it, no, it's it's just what you're saying. Like there was, it was like uh, there was a market niche there. Like there was yeah. like a someone a was ready to exploit that. Like people had already obviously started changing their minds, right. but couldn't admit it. And then you have the largest swing on a major issue, and that's in recorded polling history. Internet. That, you know, it's not no, unrelated no. to the fact that people go at YouTube. Like the more people make independent connections in the network instead of the centralized model, yeah. you start as soon as the nodes are able to start connecting, then people start figuring out all of a sudden there's a big, these big gaps and stuff. So we're in for a rocky time of that. And the territory and the map just, I mean, they're out of sync all over the place. So we should see yeah. a lot of shifts um, in the landscape of what means what. So you, everybody is having to do the same thing right now and say, okay. Take a deep breath. Is my worldview up to the challenge? Yeah. Or not? Is it is like, you know, you, what like you said, be, I used to be attitudes or sermon on the mountain. That's my if that's my moral framework, is it up for the challenge? The, I don't know because you know, the future is going to look different anyway. So will this framework that I've been living in that I want to say is some concrete reality, but we all know it's a framework that I interpret. Yeah. Is this up or do I need to go deeper? 
to have an even deeper framework into what level of depth or what, you know, and you know, you got to, that's the questions that I think people are in. So it makes the labels left to right, two-dimensional labels, like more or less Christian start to seem really ridiculous. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's interesting too, because I think part of, so part of the issue that I started to have was I realized that the worldview that I had didn't work. And I started realizing that a while ago. And so then what that, what that did was it allowed me to expand and I have read and gleaned knowledge and dare I even say like experiential knowledge, not just like I read this book, but like I've taken practices and ideas, applied them to my life and some shit happened from other perspectives that aren't just Christians from like a Buddhist perspective, for example, has been insanely helpful um, I've read a shit ton of Alan Watts, which I know people like have their thoughts on him, whatever. But, like, so I've like found these other <laughs> thoughts. Who has what thoughts on Alan Watts? I, people like him. I, I mean, yeah, I think, I've never read him. I think people like him, but then also at the same time, like I get annoyed because then I see that there's, I'm going to make a really it's like harsh statement that I'm not, I think it's true, but also it's pretty harsh. You have somebody like Michael Gunger, who I've never met before in my life, who read like two Alan Watts books and then started telling people like, hey, I have all the fucking answers to, you know, to these problems. Come to my class and I'll teach you about it. Like, that's not helpful. He would probably phrase it differently. But <laughs> he probably would have said, I'm the one that knows that there are no answers or something, you know. Sure. Right. <laughs> you know. But there's a real there's a credential. There's a credentials problem. <laughs> It, and it's a problem within evangelicalism as well. It's just continued over into post-evangelicalism. Right. There, there's a, a hypocrisy problem with that Gunger apparent transition, whether or not he's convinced of it or if it's true or not, whatever he's saying. It's like you, you when you see people move that much and these just as confident as they were before, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. And like a part of that, too, like here's another fun thing to throw in there. I don't have any credentials. I'm just a kid with a microphone and like I worked in a church for a little bit, but then I, yeah, have but this... you're, you're interviewing other people. You're asking them questions. You're not, you know, it's like Josh, the recent Josh Harris thing I think is really illustrative. Like yeah. he puts up this deconstruction course. He obviously is not qualified to teach a course on deconstruction. He had spent the previous 20 years at the center of evangelical power uh and and you know kind of small f fame and and you know he heard that and he's like yeah you're right took it down like props to him right uh he he can probably write that is a real skill he has he could be a writer or maybe teach people how to write or consult on writing projects maybe some kind of organizational leadership okay he's got some you know he has credentials there or at least expertise but in some sense some of the blame of this is on the way that evangelicalism itself is structured which is so suspicious of any kind of training any kind of formal you know uh because it seems like oh that's secular it's worldly it's kind of anti-bible or whatever it, it's an it's an anti-intellectual tradition in most forms and it's an really you the the problem you get then is you don't have safeguards and you don't have expertise and and then you're just essentially like 
oh, why do you like that pastor? Because if he were a car salesman, he'd sell a lot of cars, <laughs> but he's a pastor. Right. So he gets a lot of butts in the seats. I mean, like it, that that's the worst case version of it. But like, what else are we talking about? It's oratory skill. It's confidence and charisma. And that's not really what we ought to want in a spiritual leader. Um, and I mean, Matt and Toby have been banging this drum since they started their show seven years ago or whatever that was. Um, so, you know, obviously I'm, I've come around a little bit actually to, to your guys's way of thinking on some issues that, that included. Well, maybe I'll come around to some of you yours too. I th I'm sure I have, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, I know that I have, I know that I have, and, and particularly in the area of there's response, <laughs> particularly in the area of responsibility for, and for what, what one does in the public sphere. I understand. Okay. Now we got it. Consequences. Josh, like that, you know? we got to have this conversation here because I was okay. just thinking about this too, Carter. I want to meet you halfway on that uh, because, and it honestly, it does relate. It's not totally unrelated to the question of identifying as Christian or not. I'll try and connect it, but I appreciate you saying that, Matt, that because when we, so when Carter and I would talk about this stuff five, six years ago, more at the beginning, uh, before I started podcasting myself, when I was just like a frequent guest on their show on bad Christian, I was coming from a position of this kind of savior or hero complex of like Matt, and to Matt Toby and Joey are really nice guys, <laughs> but they are uneducated and uninformed and, and are unintentionally saying false things on their show in a very entertaining manner. And also I like listening and they are funny and they get good guests and you know, whatever, all of that. But here's what I can bring to the table. I am more informed. I'm more careful and I will present a less entertaining, but more accurate picture of whatever it is we're talking about on the episode today. And then I will plug holes in the dam for their listeners who are having faith crises. This is, I mean, this is almost, almost verbatim what I thought at the time. And we would, and I would not maybe quite have admitted that, but we would talk along these lines and I would press you on responsibility of like, Hey, you do have like 50 to 80,000 people listening to these shows. Like you should think something about like what you're putting out there. But the thing that you would push back on that I am now, that I am now basically fully in your camp on is that no one person or one podcast is a full source for anybody. People have multiple sources they pull from multiple sources and they discern in a mostly unconscious way from what seems true to them from all these different sources. And so I'm not a hero with my fingers in the dam in all the holes in the dam. I am one source among many. And my job is to be a good one, like to be a, to be a thoughtful and careful one to do my homework when I can and to not let my ego take, you know, whatever, like all that stuff, like, be responsible. That's true. But then after that, it's out of my control and people are going to listen to other people. And I have no control over what those people say or do. There's all these things. It, I, I keep thinking about Taoism. Like there is a stream. There is a momentum to the world that is not up to me. And, and I was trying to like dam up that momentum 
and be a savior in that kind of a sense. And that's one of the things that I'm reckoning with now is like that. I mean, that didn't work. <laughs> if you want to look at American Christianity, my my one man mission to save Christianity from Trump failed insofar as that was my mission. It didn't work. And it is even more in the throes of that piece of shit than it ever was before. So I failed and I need to now recognize that's not my job. And that's one of the things that I'm working through. Right. Um, but Carter, please, please get in here. Well, I feel that the responsibility thing, um, I, the, the way I would frame my point of view on it is that um, I, you know, what I am trying to create is a context. I'm a context guy. So I do not believe that the, um, I, I am committed to saying whatever I feel like without caution. That is the, what matters most to me. That matters more to me than anything. That freedom matters to me. So, the, but I, and I don't claim responsibility for saying what I'm thinking. Now, the fact that it's in public, still, I do not believe that I should not say what I think and is true. It's at least my duty to do that the best I can because I, I'm not having a two-sided point of view. I, I don't like that thing where I'm saying it this way, but only because so-and-so is listening. I can't keep up with that stuff. I don't know how to judge that stuff. I don't know how to evaluate that stuff. I have to be authentic, not as like a virtue, just a operating system for Matt Carter. Can't keep up with stuff, usually not understanding what's going on socially anyway. I got to stick with the truth. And I got to say everything I'm thinking. That's that's that I have to make context where that works, um, and so I create context for myself and where I can talk that way and where other people can handle it. And then people want to listen to that. I mean, it's really hard for me to take responsibility for that, and I don't want to take any responsibility for it. On the other hand, when a context is created that is bigger than me and has a life beyond what I can control, something's different now. And that that I, I experienced that myself, that when you create something and you have this whole context, that then people are able to put together um, stuff about it. And it has implications. It just does. And so there's just is responsibility for that. But I believe in that type of environment, like everything I learned, I learned from over here and people discuss stuff like my parents talking about politics in the 80s in South Carolina. Do you think they were experts? Do you think they knew anything at all? We're both wrong almost all the time, and that's everything I ever learned was in that environment. That's how people learn. Yeah. So I do not listen to experts. I don't listen to teachers. I don't listen to anybody like that. I never have. Never got anything from them. It's never been useful to me. So that's where that's where we create, still have some distance I just, I just between us. Yeah, I just don't care about that. Yeah. It doesn't help me. And I mean, I've not ever been able to get anything out of that type of stuff. And so I think what I'm committed to is creating context and environments where people can learn what they want. What they want. However, I do have to take responsibility for the context that is created. That is actually becomes a culture. Mm. A context becomes a culture, and a culture can become a cult, and a cult can do a lot of harm. So that's the playing field that I'm on. I understand that once you go public with it. But whenever I'm saying whatever I'm saying in this sentence, I have no idea what I'm about to say. I have no idea. I, I never do know what I'm about to say. You know, I just start sentences and then they end. I don't know what's going on. So I, that's Meta. the world I have to operate in. So it presupposes that I need not be held responsible for what I say. <laughs> yeah. So the the difference is it's you're not setting yourself up on a platform. It's like, hey, everybody, come and listen to me, Matt Carter, who has all the answers, and here's everything I'm going to say. Listen to me. 
but rather you set the context, which is exactly what you just described. I'm going to start a sentence and I don't know how it's going to end, but it's going to end eventually. So like the way, you know, the way that works with whoever's in the environment over time is a context or a microculture, like a band or a family or state or nation or county or whatever, you know, a a Facebook group, they, you know, the scale of those things grows when they're collective. There's a collective thing. We all believe this, that things can be more than the sum of their parts. So my words alone, I don't know that nobody could take that seriously. Surely we could ignore that. But what is created in a collective sense is more powerful than some of the individuals. And then those who have the more influence over such systems and organizations and things bear more responsibility. We see that, you know, that's yeah. becoming easier to see. So, so like, you know, so like Dan, you're, if I understand Matt correctly, Dan's patron community, for example, the uh, permissionaries, <laughs> the Great. permissionaries is fantastic. The permissionaries have more uh power than just say dan doing his episodes every week because the permissionaries taking these episodes and then allowing them to do something to them and impacting their lives and then going out from there um there's a lot of power to that more than just dan sitting in his um cool ass recording studio making an episode yeah. Yes. Dan thinks that he has a Facebook group. It, uh-uh. That thing's <laughs> already out from under him. Like, it's already beyond yeah. him. It already is. It's a very alive group that Dan created or conceived, and that thing's gone off to college, and you ain't got control anymore. I Yeah. You my control if you wanted to. My my perspective is that I there are still – I have a few levers, right? But mostly the main lever I have is the show I choose to make. It That's is the like most influence you have, but it's out of your control. Sure. But I just mean like, I mean, well, I can like remove people from the group as an admin on Facebook and stuff, which they is they can make another group. Well, of course they can. Although you know, my the culture that you did create can make yeah. independent choices from, of you course. from, from now on. And, well, you guys will, or you didn't do it good, but they can. No, but they you don't need you to be them anymore. No, you're right. And you guys, though, tapped into that more than I think I have. Like there are all these BC club separate groups and stuff. And I think that, um, that was my aim. Yeah. You know, I I was into that. I'm into that, uh, you know, compound interest kind of thing. Yeah. No, I, I I get that. It's decentralized. That's, you know, I'm into that. Yeah. This is the big, this is the big cleavage in our life trajectories between the two of us. Carter is that like, I, I have felt like, okay, it's time for me to go get a doctorate and to be licensed and to like follow the ethical and licensure guidelines of the doctor of psychology profession, you know, like that. And I find, uh, and, and actually as I go into that, perhaps unsurprisingly, um, but I think quite organically, I am sort of falling in love with the power of peer reviewed research and what all those safeguards and those structures can do for building up over time a less impeachable body of oh, knowledge to help people. I couldn't people. agree more about that. I just happen to have a different approach. Yeah, but you know, sure. The decentralization, you know, is the approach. Well, it is, and and it is actually decentralized in a lot of ways, right? So it just it kind of depends on. I think I would agree. We we would find a lot of common ground. Like I don't want johns hopkins to be the only place where you can study psychedelics for instance like that would end up being a bad thing because then 
all the people who want power would try in that world would try and get a job there and keep their balances and governance is now what we're talking about because uh, you know we've seen things get hijacked by narcissistic people or powerful people or are we Heroes. talking about the Mars I mean, Hill podcast? No, yeah, no, no. I'm <laughs> talking about you. Talk about ISIS. You talk about anything. anything I know. I'm kidding. Like I'm kidding. It's just yeah. it's it, everything's that way. I mean, it's just you. If you create something awesome, then it's now hijackable, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's but, true. Once it becomes a valuable, powerful org tool system, wouldn't some other people like to get a hold of that? I mean, well, they're, they're, yeah. who's going to win? And what if you then take that idea and apply it to the? So you said Mars Hill. So apply it there. You have Mark Driscoll as this guy doing all this shit. And then he created this ginormous following of people, which in this perspective quickly got, it gets out of hand. And then Mark is no longer responsible for his followers, but like at the same time, like, so how does that translate over into the church world? Like, does it, does it not? Yeah. I mean, that's just what, that's just how it goes. If you create something and you can't control it anymore, you, you try to split off or and destroy it. I mean, that's what, that's evolution. I mean, that's just how, that's how things go. That's the, that's the, that's what it means to be in competition with your environment. That's one of the game theory moves. That's just how it works. You try to get the biggest thing you can. If you can't control it, you want that threat to go away. I tend to think of my lens with Driscoll would be that he attempted to control something completely that shouldn't have been controlled by right. him and right. couldn't really withstand that anymore. Right. Um, that that's my like dispassionate sort of like nuts and bolts power mechanism analysis. Mm-hmm. There's also like the spiritual abuse lens. There's other lenses you could take, but that the kind of Carter type lens <laughs> of like let's zoom out and look at this like an ant colony, which is right. kind of how you that's like how, to think about things. Right. Yeah. It's fun to put myself in those shoes. I would just say, yeah, he tried to hold on to something. And it, like in in that, like ignoring victims and all of that stuff analysis, it's like he tried to keep control of something, but he actually didn't know the rules of that game. He didn't realize, right. exactly. I think probably because of his narcissism, that actually like if he wanted to run a fucking car company, he could probably have done it indefinitely mm-hmm. and been the way he was, but he ran a church and in a church, eventually most people will expect something resembling Christ-like behavior at some very minimal yeah. level. And if you run it like Harvey Weinstein, you yeah. just won't run a church anymore. Well, like you could maybe run a film studio, you know, well, Jeff Bezos is going to be okay for a while. He, he hasn't right. gotten out over his skis in that way that Mark did because his formula would have been something like how much control can you have for how big you can get it. So you could leverage those types of things. At some point that got away from him and that he needed more control, but that controls yeah. was that allowed it to grow. And he just made some bet that he couldn't keep up, you know, so the system failed. So the architectural system was good till it wasn't. And maybe Jeff, the billionaires may have a similar fate. We don't know. Yeah, we'll you see. Know? I mean, for Driscoll, it's like what he figured out was if I keep this thing completely wrapped around my personality and communication style, it will keep growing numerically, mm-hmm. which was true as long as people had no access to who he was as a person at his core which it turns out was, you know, pretty thoroughly rotten. But like churches well, but, can't that's, just that's do that. Over time. Over time. Still, I think sure. it's created, it wasn't created just by him. It was created by a collective of people. That's, that's true. That's why it was special because it was a true collective. But then he wanted it for himself. Yes. 
Yes. And well, he, you know, it went the way it went. So that thing that was created by him as part of a collective, that's what made it great, was then hijacked by another person, which was a later version of himself. So that is what, you know, it's not the same person that started it, that trashed it. It's not the same guy. I mean, much, much happened across that time to him. So there, it, he created something great with a bunch of people in a great way that then was hijacked by somebody. It just happened to also be him or a disease or whatever, you know, just the landscape or something like that. But nonetheless, the thing was created is very, very powerful. It's a community, a collaborative community. Um, shared vision and goals is quite a powerful thing. You know, when they share a story and a history, you know, oh. it's identity. I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah. yeah you hook for- it up to Jesus and everybody's <laughs> salvation and whether or not they're going to hell. I mean, it becomes, it's pretty, you know, it's the scary stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's crazy how you can take it, take like a, I mean, it's not a minor tweak, but it's still a tweak. You can take a system like that and then throw in something like, if you don't believe X, Y, and Z, you go to hell or here's the, the, mm-hmm you know, the consequences of that. It's crazy how much that then amplifies the, like it raises the stakes so incredibly much that like, and I think that's where Dan and his work on like spiritual abuse and things like that is going to be so helpful and, and illuminating because I don't think people realize the power that such language like that has. And I think that's a lens that is a turbocharger. Yeah. And like when we, talk about theology like when people have these different arguments and understandings about so here's the different perspectives on hell and then they say well this is the true one and this is true and whatever i think what's interesting people need to take into account the kind of stuff that dan's interested in which is the spiritual abuse aspect when you throw in something like if you don't believe this then you're going to hell because that again that is causes the spiritual abuse and then if people were to take the teachings of Jesus seriously or, or a scripture and say, you know, what are the fruits of these things? And then you see the fruit that it has resulted in people's lives um, based off these teachings. Like that's something to be considered too. And I think that often gets overlooked um, within those conversations of which theology mm-hmm. is correct. Um, and I know that's kind of slightly off what you were saying, but I, I think that matters when we like in future conversations about theology and the impact theology has on people is those kind of things have to start being taken into account, especially when you then take it and add it to a system uh, that is developing a culture and influencing people's lives. And then you have the possibility of a narcissist taking that over and really fucking things up even more. Like it's such a crazy concoction of things happening all at once i think dan yeah. i think i heard it from you you talk about like christianity is like uh like nuclear power it can be really really great or it can blow up the whole world i think that's a great metaphor yeah. but yeah thank you I, yeah i like that metaphor <laughs> yeah yeah well, i mean is it not obvious that some religious stuff can be turbocharged into to really create some existential risk right i mean that's not that hard to see so it goes pretty big pretty quick and it's agents like simple agents like a, a mark driscoll or donald trump are in the ball game now like the, the threshold of who's in the ball game of religion creating and refinement and hijacking i mean that the field playing field's wide open that's pretty scary yeah it's so interesting to, it's interesting to try and think about that historically though right like who 
like I don't I don't have a sense of how religions were formed, you know, before the Abrahamic religions were founded, right? Like I don't really know. Like it sure seems like there were deities for every city. So it was pretty well, they, easy, you know. Wouldn't I guess. you say that they were all evolved? Like they all just evolved. Nobody created them. But then at some point you get Mormonism and at some point you get you know these created religions and now it's like it's all game is no, all. I think of it as no, there was always an entrepreneur involved in each of those. Somebody the, thought no someone way. thought you no, you know what sun. it is. There's no entrepreneur involved in sun worship. The sun, right, but like Baal is not the sun or the moon or what like there there are yeah, if you're just worshiping the sun at the very beginning, maybe that's what you're talking about. Well, the but great like, gods are just like I'm praying for rain and there's gotta be a god of good luck and you know, narcissist no. and echo. Those are those aren't entrepreneurial things. I think they are. I think that <laughs> I do think so. Yeah. I have a different I, I, sense of that. Tell me more. I think that religion necessarily springs from human experience because our experience is the most elemental thing that we have. We, we are born and then we start experiencing. Whether or not any of the claims of any particular faith are accurate, that's just true. We just start experiencing life. And there are people who have been experiencing it before us and we hear stuff from them. And uh, then we'll later have people that are experiencing it who are younger than us and we'll tell them stuff, right? So mm -hmm. I, I like to think of it through that lens of like, well, what would it have been like? What are the questions people were trying to answer? What were they up to basically? And I think you get creatives, essentially you get poets and people who are like more lofty thinkers and they start putting things together and they, you know, like, I think dreams were probably a, a big part of this. You, you experience something in a dream where your mind can sort of free associate. Sure. It's, mm -hmm. you have a really impactful one. You wake up from it. You start thinking about it. You go, you know what? That thing in that dream is true. I couldn't have thought of it when I was awake, but now that I think about it, that I'm awake, I'm like, that's true. Like, it does make sense that, you know, the moon gave birth to water but you know whatever i'm just like what fill in your folk cosmology whatever it is right and then people start and then people start sharing that they, the ones that work the ones that make the most sense get passed down mm -hmm. right through a kind yeah, of so cultural it, but that's evolution. the select yeah the, yeah the cultural yeah. evolution but i don't think they're no you know buddhism didn't start with to be a world religion to compete with Christianity one day. I mean, right, that wasn't right. somebody's idea. It just no. happened. It's yeah. a collection. I, I see all the Eastern traditions as a collection of wisdom. Then I look at all of, you know, Judaism and Christianity and see a collection of, of you know, Western wisdom. It's like, ooh, these are good. You yeah. know, whose idea were, I don't know. I think they're emergent and they're good. So I would say Judaism, I think of Judaism as more emergent like that. Um, because personally, I don't think that there was like a Moses or an Abraham. I don't think that those were real people. I, uh, I think that those stories emerged as a wisdom tradition emerges kind of naturally, but with really creative and entrepreneurial, I, when I say entrepreneurial, I don't mean like, uh, sketchy mm -hmm. car salesmen. I mean, like, just like creative thinkers who are like, 
trying yeah. to solve a problem in a unique yeah. way. I mean it in an ego. That's good. In an ego That's, way. I'm for glad you, for that they've been doing yes. that through the eons, though. Yeah, exactly. Well, now we have the wisdom from that. Yes. What exactly. we don't maybe need so much is the dogma, which is when you call it a religion. So it's like a spirituality. That's what I call spirituality would be that interconnectedness across the generations where wisdom is shared and tuned into and reached from free associative thinking. These things start to be very spiritual. And then because of that, now we do X, Y, Z. It's a dogma and you get closer to a social control mechanism. Okay. I would, then you, okay. maybe that's a religion. I want to, I would want to delineate there. There's like an extra step or an extra category separation though for me so dogma is the codification of the beliefs but practice or praxis is the codification of practices and activities and behaviors interesting and, yeah that's and fair. they're they're both they both operate on a wisdom tradition method okay so so you know like you you could talk to someone like trip fuller or tony jones about the Christological controversies of the first 300 years of Christianity. And they will, they know much better than me, but they will tell you what a rich ongoing conversation that was at a dogma level, quote unquote. Yes, but that's before that's Constantine gives the church the power of the sword to use that dogma and then kill people that don't assent to it, right? Like, so it's it's still a wisdom tradition in its original formation the problem is then when the state wields the power of violence wedded mm -hmm. with the dogma right well so we'll slice dogma one more way down i'll go that dogma is belief which means the next word we'll have to define or agree on is prescription prescription that's the word that hangs me right now is even if you want to call dogma beliefs I can accept dogma in that case, but I don't accept prescription from it. And that's what most people call religion. Hmm. Yeah, I think that that's um, I think that that's not what religion is. I think religion can sometimes we do be... all these things because of these beliefs and you need to do these things. And that's your that even your moral framework from the Sermon on the Mount is prescription in that way. I think from you, dogma in every religious group. There are people that follow that pattern. There will always be people personality wise, maybe I don't know what the causal mechanism is, but let's just say it's something like personality who will say, oh, this is the true thing. I will commit myself wholly to doing that and making sure everyone else knows that that's the true thing. And it sort of doesn't matter what they're told. They are prone to they want that and they will respond with fervor and then there are also always other people in every religious community that are looser with that and that mm -hmm. sort of are trying to figure out well what's the spirit behind this like what are we getting at it's it can't just be the right. rules it can't be that like pork is magically evil that's weird so what is it about this what's that moving us toward is there a is there like a higher or more abstract concept that this is moving and then those are the people mm, that yes. move a tradition forward yeah that would be awesome you know but that isn't the way it goes and then we get into you know like maybe the framework of uh i use the word framework too much the you know the book of yuval harari the sapiens, sapiens where yeah. you know so that'd be like when you come in agriculture 
in this evolving world, you need religion to contain the morals and have the shared narrative and the symbolism to be part of the thing. So then it's selected for, you know, as a maybe a, in practicality with selection pressure on these groups of dogmas being enforced on people groups that are not necessarily trying to seek the deepest answers of spirituality, but yeah. simply need to behave the right, you know, unified way so that our nation can survive and we can build bigger walls here to, you know, live and stuff, man. I, I guess what I would say is like, there are two things always going on there. If you are a ruler of an area and your primary interest is power, Josh, by the way, welcome to your podcast. <laughs> uh, this is what happens if you invite Matt and I on. Um, no, it's perfect. You, I'm just going to rename the show the bad. You have bad permission podcast you, you of bad. sometimes being Christian. I don't know. Okay. It's it's great. I'm ex- I'm enjoying this as a listener. So I just poured a nice a new beer for yourself. I, I did that. I did. Uh, so two things are always happening at once. One is if you are a ruler, if you have power, you are going to use whatever means you think is best to retain and build power, unless you're one of the few people who is like a genuinely good ruler, which there are sometimes those people. Um and so if you figure out that using religious imagery works and language works like Trump did, he was like, oh, I just have to pick like 10 phrases that evangelicals like and I'll get and I'll get the nomination and win the presidency. Fuck, yeah, that's an easy that's an easy decision. Mm-hmm. So that's always happening. And you will have people who want power. They are they are uh, co-opting religious language for their own benefit. But also you always have another thing happening at the same time, which is that there are gen, there are people who genuinely experience and reinterpret the religious tradition in a way that connects with people in an organic fashion. This is true of John the Baptist. This is true of Jesus. This is true of mm-hmm. Buddha with Hinduism, right? So those are like those, my favorite three people. You yeah, know? and they will <laughs> always be, or Moses, they will always be at odds with the people who want to control the situation for political power and religion mm-hmm. is just both like there, you you can't say well religion is just about pacifying farmers it's also about farmers revolting from the people trying to pacify them and harari sort of shows his new atheism cards by emphasizing only one of the two to the extent that that's what he's doing and i have not finished that book so i'm i'm just I'm filling in some gaps in my own knowledge there, but like it's both, it's always both. And the liberation movement of Latin America, which had to fight against not only the dictators, but also power from Rome, they still were using religion to advocate for the upheaval of these unjust societies on behalf of the disappeared and killed and persecuted poor, right? So Mm -hmm. it's just both, it's just always both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just not the big great man of history kind of guy. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, looking at the ant hill situation and what emerges and is coming from the collective. Like looking it, at the ant hill, know, it's a collective the, thing. He is the great man of history. You're the great man. It's, <laughs> oh, it's, you're saying it's, like it's not about heroes. Yeah, it's not about. Yeah, what but this they guy they did arrive at the right time and they channel yeah, something. Yeah, you know, yeah. Gandhi, whatever. Like it's like. Gandhi's a good example, using religion to fight against British colonialism. And he's right, one of but the, you get, but it's a collective. Sure. I'm just thing. saying that movement 
is a usage of religion that is opposite of the Harari thesis of religion was religion came up and was selected for to pacify farmers is, what, is how I understand mm -hmm. you saying it. But like Robert Bella would say, religion predates human language. And if that's true, then I don't understand how the Harari thesis works. I just, anytime someone says, here's how religion worked 20,000 years it, ago, it, the, I call bullshit. Well, it's about symbolism know. and shared narrative. So just if you can go into sure. the narrative point of view, all the ants think one thing about the damn what they got to do. Yeah. So you need, if they all have different opinions, like what they want to do, that's not going to work. Yeah. And that so is the a, best yes. tool, the moralism, the social framework, the group thing, the social pressure, that's the best mechanism for yeah. collaboration is to get everybody on a shared narratives. So there's many points to be scored for the creation of functional narratives. And now in today's, if Gary V comes up with one that's functional, everybody will just do it. Functionality is there's a selection pressure there. So if Gary V makes a religion, it'll work if it's good enough. Right. But that's scary because we're also going to be able to program DNA or make a, you know what I mean? Like make a yeah. nuclear bomb or program DNA or make a religion on your laptop as a blogger. You can do it. I mean, QAnon and if it works, it'll work. A, a religion. Right. Yeah. If it works, it'll work. And then yeah. somebody later after that happens, then some charismatic figure will come in and double empower and do something okay. really crazy with it. <laughs> that's great. That's actually really good context for your question, Josh, about like, okay, so. If that's all true and Christianity is one of these religions in the constant ebb and flow of history, is it stupid to pledge one's <laughs> allegiance to it, right? Or is it inescapable to have allegiance somewhere and to try and do it well? And do we even have control over what we find plausible or the experiences we have you know, uh, all three of us have had transcendent experiences. I know maybe more about yours, Josh, in terms of their specifically Christian character, but I know Matt has had them too. You were, you were kind of hinting at it with Furnace Fest. Oh, earlier. yeah. I'm, I understand that I'm prone to transcendent experience, basically. So I, I'd have a, some kind of cognitive overfit is the way I think of it. Like I make a ton of meaning out of stuff that's not there a lot also is like the counter side the downside of that you how know? do you know it's not meaningful like who's the well, arbiter just some, of that well i just mean like you know i can become really fascinated or enamored in things like if i put on the vr headset when i take it off 15 minutes later i just got to tell you how this profound experience i had like but it wasn't necessarily a big deal or whatever if i get if i want to start doing construction and looking at wood grain it becomes like it's this super intense thing for me like i got to show people this piece of wood because of the meaning in it yeah, you you have that's what interests. I, yeah. yeah. So I just that's I overmake you know. I mean, sometimes that makes me nail something in the future because I'm paying attention on some different level. Sometimes it's just you know not really yeah. what it is. But I'm prone to having putting more significance on an experience sometimes than other people, and then I have to be really. I mean, I've had a lot of problems from that too, so I have to be really skeptical also. So I'm always trying to balance not being swept away with some transcendent thing versus trying to look for it because i know it's real man i know it's real josh like let me i've let me just add one more layer here <laughs> i'm sorry that we have hijacked your your podcast you're good none of it's us great it makes my job easy as shit none of us here think that like oh you say the sinner's prayer and then instead of going to hell you go to heaven like we're not talking about that okay 
So none of us are talking about that. That's the easy one to say, yeah, that's not where we're coming from. The, the harder question is like, can or should we connect ourselves or remain connected to the wisdom tradition that built up around Jesus of Nazareth's retelling of Judaism, right? Or, or whatever, like the resurrection experiences. So cool. That the That's early so cool Christians how you said had. that. But Say that's that the question. I've never okay. heard that. Where did you get okay. that? Should we, should we stay connected to the wisdom tradition that came up around, let me rephrase it to be more accurate, the resurrection experiences of the followers of Jesus of Nazareth who recontextualized and retold the Jewish faith in his Oh, time. I love the, oh, the last way you said it was so much better to me. You said that Jesus Reen, summarized Judaism. Re-envisioned and fucking nailed or something it. like that. He nailed Judaism. it. He just went, he, look, he's a synthesizer, interdisciplinary mm-hmm. synthesizer, this Jesus. That's who he, he is to me. He certainly he was. He freaking yeah. saw it from the outside, and he yeah. looked at Judaism and said, it's Here this. It is. It's this version. Oh, and then and he released from all the freaking whatever by just, and that's beautiful. He, he saw it for what it was, not thwarted it or discounted it or whatever. He saw what was really there and brought it and said it and put it and lived it and showed it. Oh my gosh. And it's also so much Eastern stuff in what he know. You know, he knew all that stuff. He, he knew how to pull it. He just, he had a point of view. He was able to pick out the stuff and then, you know, show people so what was really there. The the big, the like the metaphysical question lingering over that, over my question is, well, was he God and did he rise from the dead? And that to me is increasingly feeling like, I, I recognize that's an important question, but it's it's not the question I have to answer because I don't know that I can't, I don't, I can't, I'm actually pretty sure I can't answer it. But the question I have to answer is, Will I remain connected to this religion, this wisdom tradition, or not? Will I identify that way? Will I practice that way? Or will I not? Well, let me propose a definition and see if the three of us can agree on it then. If you own the question of resurrection or is he God, maybe that needs a little more narrowing down. If you found out, would that matter to you, basically? If you found out that you were wrong about that, would that mean that you had then behaved wrongly the whole time you were under the wrong impression about whether or not he was resurrected or is God. Would it matter if you found out that it was absolutely falsified? If it would matter, then you're a Christian. It's hard because no, that's not, I would not, I don't agree with you on the last move because I think that that quest for that, for it to be falsifiable is to is to posit a world that does not exist. Mm-hmm. What does the world have to look like for that claim to be falsifiable? It's not this world. Mm. Well, why did we were we able to falsify the Greek gods? Or are we just, you know, I don't know that we have fully done it, but like like but the but Greek you know, gods are not but did that serve people. their system? Well, How would but, you falsify? You can't falsify. I agree. You can't falsify. It. But I'm saying we didn't even need to falsify, you know, Thor, do we? But, so we what need if to you, falsify Thor? What if you take something like, so there's a, a book I read recently. I don't. Josh is I, back, Matt. Josh is hear back. Me, 
But no, but I think it ties in here because there's an interesting the 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 title of the book is interesting in itself. It's called There is No God and Mary is His Mother. So the point of the title is the beginning is there is no objective way we can say there is a God. There is no way. There's no objective way. And then you can take that and apply it to other stuff. We can't objectively say Jesus rose from the dead or that he was the Christ yeah. or any of these kind of things. However, experientially, which I think is a different kind of knowing, Mary was his mother. That So it's making two interesting claims in that title. And the book itself it goes on to talk about that. But for me, like that, that's kind of where I find myself, at least. Like this wisdom tradition, Jesus, at the very least, was a brilliant wisdom teacher. And I have also found other wisdom traditions that lined up with what Jesus was saying and have been beneficial when applied to my life. It just so happens that I was given a lens called Christianity because I was born where I was born to the family that I was born into and the wisdom that Jesus was talking about or the, the lens that I was given to look at wisdom is the Christian lens. And so I'm going to use Christian language to talk about this idea of wisdom. And for whatever reason, I'm attracted to this person called Jesus. And that like, that's where I'm at right now. Like, I don't know if that means I'm a Christian or not, because there's all these other wisdom traditions. And I think there's a lot of really great stuff there. And I just assume that the, I talk about those wisdom. That's traditions. a good way. Yeah. Let's try, let's try to make a definition there that we can agree on then. Yeah. If you say, let's give it another shot. Well, as we could get, surely the three people can get together on okay. one meaning for a podcast. Let's try on that topic. Um, you, we can at least define where we could come up with a threshold model here. So if you believe that the Christianity is a valid and useful wisdom tradition, you can claim to be a Christian, right? We all agree that you can, that's a valid claim, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, so I, if you, just to be clear, I agree with you because I think some people would say, too. no, 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 you must confess the risen Christ, whatever. If you live as a Christian, and and call yourself a christian you're a christian in my mind i'm, I'm gonna totally try i'm not that. saying yeah. that you have to go along with that but i'm trying to find where you can draw a line so i would draw the line then to say but i also think all other religions or at least five other ones are, are also contain tons of wisdom in the same way at you that can point still you can be no longer no i no can. this is great okay so the the delineation is between exclusivist christianity and inclusivist christianity okay so or I, how about cultural Christianity? I mean, maybe uh, that's valid here because I'm maybe feeling like maybe I am a cultural Christian, like not the divinity's crazy stuff, and but just like well, no matter what, I've got more wisdom than anything out of Jesus and the Bible. That's never going to change, and I'll spend the rest of my life trying to understand Eastern stuff, and I'll never catch up. So I'll yeah. always be Christian fundamentally, but uh, man, I got a bunch of other religions to get wisdom from too now. So that feels like I'm not a Christian, right? No, because yeah, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to do anything but Christianity, but yet it'll probably always be my it'll end up most being Christianity. influence. Yeah, because that's, it'll probably that's, still be my biggest influence. Yeah. No yeah matter what I, I do from a, here. I think, I, I think that's exactly where I'm at, Matt. Cause like, I've read these other wisdom traditions because there's a bunch of them and I have found deep meaning and things that resonate and when applied to my life, they are true. And the lens that I happen to then see them through is like, oh, within Buddhism, they say X, Y, and Z. I would say it this way, but it's yes. because the lens I have been given yeah. is that of Christianity. So I'm going to use yeah, Christian So I'm, um, you know, yeah. So then what are you, Baha'i? 
Yeah, so, I, no, 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 because Baha'i is is syncretism. Baha'i is a particular synthesis of all of them. This is a particular this is one. Yeah, that makes why sense. I am against perennial philosophy and the Huxley stuff, because they are claiming to have an advanced perch from which they can synthesize all yeah. the world's religions. I think that's bullshit. You don't I'm get, just saying my no biggest perch. influence will be Christianity and I yeah, got a yeah. bunch of Eastern shit to learn and there may yeah. be a bunch of stuff that let me let me ask you guys this. So that if doesn't feel like a, being a Christian though. If there were a story, it, it probably didn't happen much because of like international travel at the time of Jesus. But let's say one of the Buddhas, you know, so the Buddha would have been what uh 500 years before christ is that right no right yeah ish um so if one of the you know the the top leaders in one of the schools of buddhism like came and met with jesus do you really think that jesus would have said uh you don't keep kosher dude you're fucking out i don't think so I think we have a Jesus who what we know of him is that he was smashing those kind of categories, ethnic categories, religious yeah. identity categories. So label what buster. That, what that makes me feel like is, well, so what we're not we're not saying that Jesus was exclusivist about Christianity. What we're saying is that most Christians have been exclusivist about Christianity. But right. as far as we can tell. If Jesus had met someone of another faith, he would not have had a big issue with that. Now, he might have told a Jew to keep kosher because they were a Jew and that was their that was their world. But I don't get the vibe from him that he was all about exclusivist truth claims. That's not the Jesus I no. read in the Gospels. So I can make sense of an inclusivist Christianity through the lens of Jesus of Nazareth. And who better to do it? I mean, who's the authority if not Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. So so it's more an issue of like to bring in psychology, I would, I would conceive of it as it's a fundamental psychological fact of humanity that we want to make things exclusivist. And I think that Jesus right. is fighting against this in the Gospels, in a narrative. Yeah, he form. resists lab labels and identities yeah. and, and tries to cut against them at every turn. He says, love so God and your neighbor. You he says, love yeah. God and your neighbor. That's the law and the prophets. Some wise ass says, who's my neighbor? And he goes, who's your neighbor? It's the black slave, you know, in 1850s Georgia, right? It's like, it's the person who is means nothing and is the wrong religious and ethnic identity as your group That's your neighbor your is unvaccinated neighbor. Is yes your, your neighbor, neighbor is, is an unvaccinated yeah. trump voter that's, That's right. your neighbor right yes so like yeah i mean i just i don't there's no issue with me for me with being an inclusivist christian your neighbor Whether, is an asshole fucking unvaccinated prick is who he is driving know? a $70,000 <laughs> F350 with right, a don't right. tread on me flag yeah. right that's your neighbor I mean that's the neighbor that I need to love because I have a hard time with that neighbor at this moment in time right like so I don't I think that the desire to be exclusivist is like a human thing not a god thing and so the the line that you were wanting to draw there carter of 
well, you're a Christian if you think Christianity is the one right way. I would say, no, no, no. You're a Christian. Not the one right way, but but you would have, so you could say Christianity is my biggest spiritual influence and that it qualifies as Christian. Yeah, I guess Tell me where, but that's t- all culturally you know. conditioned. You just happen to have been born into a Christian country. But whatever. just just try to define me. Do you think I'm a Christian? I can't tell you that. <laughs> well, then, then it only means I, okay, what I say. Here's how I think of it. In that case, then here's it's only my I, call, in which case you just have to go by what everybody says. No, let me, so I'll, let me try one. Let me try one okay. and see if we can agree on it. A Christian is someone who identifies as, as the center of their life, their core values, their core commitments, or whatever, are focused around or circle around Christianity. That's a Christian. But I can at bet the thing I can say to that is that Jesus is my biggest spiritual influence. That's all I can. Does that qualify? I would as consider what you, you a Christian. Yes, in my based mind, on that's just like great. overall, I got a lot of spiritual influences. Yeah, overall, the most is Jesus, but also, and then I could go on this list of you know other things, and not that you know. But if I went on that list, it would be weird. It would it wouldn't even be all religions, you know. Like it would start sure. to seem weird, probably. But he's like if I just like a person that I can take the most from, that's probably him. So made me a Christian. I honestly, really, if you consider yourself a Christian, I think that's good enough for me. I don't know. I don't really care who is a Christian. I just don't even mm-hmm. think it matters in terms of for other people. I don't I don't have any desire to know who's a Christian or not. But do you need to do I, I'm saying do I, I need to know. So y'all well, what do you think it, it means out? to be a Christian? Like, I, mean, I know I can claim it. Nobody can <laughs> stay. I'm wrong. I know I can get away yeah. with claiming it if I want to. Yeah. But I actually want to know. So anybody help me figure it out? Am I, I would. I mean, l- l- let's try this. When I mean, push, Emma? when push comes to shove, <laughs> what do you who do you try to be in the world? Like, is that inflected? Toby by, Moreau. Yeah, you try to be like Toby. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying if I had to take a, you know, if there was AI algorithms that train my life to look more like another human's life and I can buy one in a proprietary sense in 10 years from now and start taking pills that make me more like another living human being, I take the Jesus pill. That is such a fucking weird and very Matt Carter way of describing. And if I, you know, I could take the, the Michael question. Jordan pill, and that would affect my physiology and neurology differently, and I'd start to become more and more like oh, him. Or I'd take the take proprietary habit training, and yeah. I could be more like Gary V or whoever. But I would like, I, I would like to think if I could, if I could take some, if I could y- use technology to make me more like another human thing, Jesus would be the one I would go with. Who is Best human Gary, so far? Who is Gary V? I'm just saying he's an entrepreneur guy. I'm just saying like somebody who's mastered the modern culture of like okay. charisma or whatever. I don't even know who that guy is. Um, I think it's interesting though because I think I mean Matt, I I feel like I'm more closely relating to what you're saying because like I that's me right now. I have all these other spiritual influences that have done a great that have only made my experience of what I call the divine or whatever language you want to have for it has greatly increased my experiential knowledge of those things. However, Jesus is the one that I would say is my greatest spiritual influence. Yeah. yeah. And then I, yeah. And then I start asking this question though, because it's like, I, so like if I threw away the idea of heaven, 
Like when I die, I'm dead. That's it. End of end of story. Would I still follow Jesus? That's a question I, that I find super interesting. And it's like, I think Jesus at the very least was offering, Jesus talks about this idea of eternal life. And I don't know if this is right or wrong to say it this way, but I kind of see the, the understanding of eternal life is more so about a quality of life rather than a quantity. Jesus is talking yeah. about a better way to be, to live in the here and now. And Jesus's way that he describes of how to be a better human seems to work for me. Like out of all the other mm -hmm. wisdom traditions, the one that Jesus puts forth, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's way of living into eternal life, which I think is a quality of life that exists here and now, um, that works for me. And so does that qualify me as a Christian? Because mm -hmm. I could then, I don't know Seems what like I, it. I don't I think so. I don't know what I, I think it does about, like life, death, resurrection. Like did Jesus die and resurrect? Maybe I don't know, but does that matter if, because here's, here's the rub and this is going to make me sound like an asshole. Cause it's going to be me patting myself on the back. There's a whole bunch of people that I know that believe Jesus died and rose again, but they're assholes. They're pieces of shit. And their Christian faith has had zero bearing on what their life looks like. There's no transformation. There's no, fruits of the spirit there's none of those things but they get to go around because they have these dogmatic claims because they confess the creeds they're a christian but the person of jesus looks nothing like them or then you have these people who maybe don't even know who jesus is but they're going around and they look a lot more like jesus than these other people who claim to have these beliefs like are they better christians than me because i'm i'm a piece of shit christian too i'm not better than you know it's like I, yeah let me answer your thing. If like, if I, if there is no afterlife, I'm absolutely still following Jesus. I I've, I'm, I'm sure about that because I have very little confidence that there is one and I'm following him now. That's how I know. Mm -hmm. I'm with, uh, yeah. I, I'm I with agree him. with that. Yeah. I know it a hundred percent because I am doing it and I have, that's right. I would love to have five to 10 times more confidence. And, you know, there are older people who are very late in life. Some people that I respect quite a bit. I'm thinking of like the theologian, John Cobb, who is now in his nineties. And he's just like, he's like, yeah, I might not go. There might not be anything, but he's like, I'm pretty sure there is. And uh, I'm pretty sure that God is incredible and I'm looking forward to it. I'd love to have that level of confidence. Maybe I will if I get to my 80s or 90s. Um, and there, there might be a kind of a confidence. I can poke holes in that from a psychological perspective of why they have that kind of confidence. So I can never be, maybe I'll never be that confident, but I'm still following Jesus anyway. And if that, if it dropped to let, I, I don't really know. I don't know how it could be much lower than it is my sort of confidence level at this point. Cause I'm in a, I'm in a stage of life where I'm like pretty thoroughly materialistic and I just can't imagine there being much that I can't get my mind around, which is maybe a personality thing, but like, I'm still a Christian. I'm still following Jesus. I'm, I'm still like figuring out like how, when, and by whom we're going to get sore and baptized. And I found mm -hmm. that that's really important to me. I really want to get him baptized. Like, and I, it kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, yeah. That's so probably the closest place where I can say that's a really good way to 
because I feel like if Dan and I are almost circling and having a disagreement, but not really finding one, and I don't disagree there other than to say I don't have that impulse, you know. So does that mean I'm not a Christian? I, to I have your kids about. baptized? Yeah, I mean, I don't care about any of that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, but that that's not. I mean, I'm not going to church or anything, you know. So it's just I, not, not. That's not church. even on my radar. We're not going to church either. We haven't been to church in two and a half years. Uh, but it's, it is a, I was baptized by my two grandparents, my two grandpas. Uh, it has more of a familial thing, I think, for me. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the theological schools of both, both my parents and the church that Jaffrey and I went to for 10 years does do infant baptism. It's like, it's, uh, it's like if you were a Catholic and your kid getting christened or going through first right. communion or something. But it's, so it's symbolic and cultural and meaningful to you. Yeah, and but it you is have a desire for it. Yeah, and I do. Yeah. I feel myself really strongly desiring. But, but, it. Like, but you don't do it and win. But you're not doing it with any sense of eternal consequence. Um, not like I just don't know. I I can't make any sense of uh, the dualistic like heaven hell thing. I just don't. Mm-hmm. I can't. Mm-hmm. It could be true, but I can't really believe in it. So, uh, you know, who knows? Um, but no, it's not about that. I'm not like safeguarding his soul or anything. I'm just like, I'm participating in a meaningful tradition. Yeah. That's a part of my faith that I think will be meaningful for everybody involved. And I just feel a, I feel a pull toward it. And I think like I should honor that pull. I don't think I should. Yeah, resist I agree. That pull. Yeah. Like I wouldn't say, I, I mean, I don't go to church and you don't, I would just say, why would anybody go to church? Like, unless you want to, and then you should go. What? I mean, you don't need to go at all, but unless you want to, then go. I mean, but that, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we, we shouldn't do this now, but I, I think there's like a lot of value to faith communities. And I think that the empirical research bears that out. So I would, I would probably encourage it more than you would not, not to like go against the grain of yourself or anything in your values, but like in America, in the 21st century, especially now where, where technology and home entertainment and comfort have become so ubiquitous, should we encourage each other to go meet in groups with other people? Mm. I think we should like, I like that public health message. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I just think like, but that's a you know, but Dan might as well the CDC could issue such. And is there <laughs> is there a difference, Dan? Too do you do you know about this? Because <clears throat> it's and I I forget if you ever talked about it in any of your episodes or not. But like, you have this idea that empirically it's great for you to be a part of a faith community, but also have they done research that says like, is it empirically good for you to be a part of a community who? Uh, like when I work at the bar, there's a group of regulars that comes in and I see them all the time. They come in at different times. I'm not saying that this group of people comes in all at once, but they're regulars that come to this place where they feel safe and heard and accepted. And they're a part of this thing. It's a brewery. It's not, you know, and they're drinking Mm -hmm. beer. It's not a faith community. Does that hold value? Or like, is there a similar, could you make a similar argument that like empirically for me, I love the Washington Capitals for me to find a community of people who love the Washington Capitals and then I go to Washington Capitals games with them and participate and cheering for them and believing in them and, you know, whatever does do those kind of things have a similar effect that like going to church does like, is there a difference? Yeah. There's like an empirical answer and there's a, and there is a uh, theoretical answer. 
The empirical answer is that when they do these studies, they compare people with high religious involvement to people without high religious involvement. And those people probably have other kinds of involvement like sports, like their local bar or whatever. And what they find consistently time and time again is that the people with religious involvement are happier and do better on a, a number of variables. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just very consistent. Um, the theoretical question, the theoretical answer, like if I could hazard a guess as to why that would be the case, is that rooting for a sports team or even having like a trivia club or something like you'll get some benefits out of that. You'll have some pro-sociality, you'll have um, emotional bonds with the people, you will have maybe transcendent experiences in the case of sports, which I've had mm -hmm. a number of mm -hmm. super transcendent experiences. Um, but you don't have the moral directionality. You don't really have the sort of the shared moral value yeah, that that's, that's a religion. nice cocktail. That gets you off. Well, you could argue, I mean, another it's way of saying powerful. it is, so is that, we're, this, that's why the empirical data, you know, that's my guess at the empirical data. That's a much more powerful cocktail when you're invested. Mm -hmm. It's not as yeah. transactional, like a sports team. Yeah, okay. But the person that's like very involved in the highest level of the booster community at a sports school, that, person that person's getting more. the same benefit. Yeah. Because it's about their kids' education. But not education. the fan that buys about, the ticket yeah. yes. and watches on TV. They don't sure. get as much out of it because they're not skinning the game. So but it's if all you're about just like, the game. If you're the, like, you know, the dad who only goes once a month because your wife drags you there. Yeah, also no benefit. Well, no. I, what I'm saying is even when you're there, you're, mm -hmm. like, looking across the aisle. You're seeing your kids. You're experiencing yeah, some, something yeah, together. That. There's something there. Yeah. And you might meet right. another dude every once in a while, and that dude actually does read the Bible, and maybe you get a friendship going, and over time, you start to, you know. The, but don't you think that, that's pro proportional to one's skin in the game? That's sure. all. Like, it would be correlated yes. with, like, level of personal investment. Well, not hours worked, but, like, Yes. You're, and, and so the other part of that is very important is belief. Like when you believe in another person or your spouse or this church or its mission, you're able to really dig deep. You're able to believe yeah. in your symbolic nation and then go to war. I mean, you're able to do what well, is that's necessary the, that's when the you danger. have skin in the game. And then mm -hmm. if you get so much skin in the game, you can be maybe manipulated. Exactly. But what I'm saying is that but the, there's more benefits skin, to that. It gets, it's it's well, a yeah. higher high when it's all the stakes mm -hmm. is that high and hell's yeah. on the line. And this I mean, is, good Lord. You get, of course, you're going to get something out of that. That's why I use the metaphor of religion is like nuclear fission. It is mm. fucking powerful. Yeah. And it's just more powerful than sports fandom is you know it just right. is it's more so powerful is than boy scouts today when activism, activism is religious it. in that sense yeah. is approaching and it, yeah at least. and people can yeah. definitely get that and then and they you, get the same you, you know yeah dopamine and you have to watch going, out you know? for puritanism and activism just like mm -hmm. you do in churches legalism and you have all the same stuff right you have all the same shit to watch out for you have to watch out for narcissistic charismatic leaders yeah you know, i don't know a lot about this but a lot of people have accused sean king of basically being an, a narcissist out for himself, using the racial reconciliation stuff to build up his own empire and brand. I don't know if that's true. The point is just that people are worried about that and they're watching out for it, right? So you just have the same shit. Anybody who says, I don't need church, I've got sports. Like, it, no, I mean, not really. Like it's, it, that is, you could say that and maybe your story 
I'm, I'm talking about Toby. You here, at least need church or to join Antifa, either one, but you need to do one of the two. I mean, you yeah, got to get something you need that gets to you do. way out there. I'm not making you want the effects. <laughs> but if you want the effects, yeah, it needs to be something with a moral, a shared moral direction, not just exactly. shared that includes, you need a meaning That structure. includes exclusivity, though. Exclusivity no. is the really scary part. No, like, I don't think well, it heightens true. the cocktail when you do include it. It does heighten the cocktail. So the when question, but that kicker in there, it really. The question for the me going forward is like, can inclusivist Christianity provide the same kick to human brains? That's one of the big questions. Well, there's evidence of that in the Lacroix phenomenon because I, when I was little, there's no way I was going to drink unsweetened tea like my grandpa, or I, you know, I was drinking a lot of Coke. But it is possible to become disciplined enough to where you like unsweetened tea or Lacroix. Yeah. But it's not as easy as Coca-Cola. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as easy as that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I mean, I think you're right. There's a complexity to it. And I think the kind of Christianity that you're describing, Dan, is what I hope happens, or that I that I'm more attracted to. And that's probably why I say it. I hope that's the one. But at the same time, it is more difficult. Right. Ascribing to wisdom is more difficult than black and white because it's not it's wishy-washy it's you know one day wisdom says this is right and the next day wisdom says that same thing is wrong it depends on the situation so it's it's harder to wisdom is it's harder to control people with wisdom <laughs> it's definitely is. <laughs> that's a good way to say it but i think wisdom yeah, is if you're not matters. interested or capable or if you are not that in, if you're not gonna be able to monkey with your worldview at, in the plumbing you, you know you might should just adopt the most uh useful moral framework available to you might be a positive i understand i agree with that like adopt the most useful moral framework that you think will work the best in the times you're living in in the social environment you have available you that might I, mean I you need to you, do different I think things you religiously. Do that. i think you do that but i also think that a flourishing human life is open to transcendence. And I think ideally, like if I had a client, I would want them to also be open to something happening that explodes some of their categories in a good way, in a life affirming yeah, for way, sure. in a morally, you know, productive way. And that's where, you know, all like I can get really technical and kind of empirical about this stuff, but um in the end, like the stuff I end up connecting with in Christianity is like stuff that artists have done. I mean, it's like, like the most beautiful piece of art I've ever beheld is the Sagrada Familia Cathedral in Barcelona. Like I walked in that room and I was just like, I'm having a religious experience right now. And a guy made this, designed this physically, aesthetically, and it points up to God. I mean, it's like, it's so concrete. And yet it's like, it's so, you know, so there's, there, I feel like we haven't talked a lot about that sort of like the aesthetic element of faith, but that's a big part of it too. And I, mm -hmm. I would want people to be open to that, not just think, and I'm prone to this, that, well, I sort of know how the world works, so I'm good. You know, I guess I'll go to church because my wife likes me to go. Like, you don't know how the fucking world works, dude. You know, like be open to something bursting your boundaries. That's a better mm -hmm. human life also. Okay, yeah, no doubt. I'm, I'm done. I got nothing else to say. Yeah, I agree. The theme there is openness to something that could be transcendent. Like, you know, it's not like people think if you're not a Christian, it's because you don't believe and everything sucks and there's nothing and there's nothing to do. And it's just you'd be That's atheist. Silly. It's like, 
nihilism but that just that's not at all doesn't that that's an insecurity of some type because it's like there's a lot of hope in anything transcendent especially with those aesthetics in that way that is the easiest way like art somehow seems to be more of an ingredient than i used to think it was i would say that because it's like uh you know to me the spirit-filled hardcore band at furnace fest is there's a transcendent thing happening there even if i'm not in the prescriptive part of it anymore um and to me that's it is going to feel more than the straight edge vegan band but the straight edge vegan would disagree with the power Uh, you know we would have opposite points of view there like they would feel i bet they have a layer that they get to feel out of being a straight edge you know that that i don't get to feel when i see those hardcore bands i don't identify with from the northeast you know yeah so it's just layers of those things um Mm -hmm. but they they mat i know that they mat it's like i know it all matters that's like that's what feels like being a christian to me is saying i think everything matters Mm. i think it does Yes. So that means something Mm -hmm. because I think everything matters, you know, Um, and I understand matters differently, different people. And my point of view is like ridiculous, but that's actually, that's my definition of theism is that Mm -hmm. things matter, things actually matter. I don't know how that works out, but they don't not matter. Yeah. I think it matters. Yeah. I think it matters. So I'm a, so I'm a theist like that. And then I'm a Christian because Jesus. But well, I'm a well, Jesus because things under, matter. seemed to understand that the most. Well, he's yeah, given me the Jesus most insight was also into the theist. fact that things matter. Yeah. yeah. Like he's the yeah. one that most understands things matter. I got that yeah. from him. Yeah. So I'm a Christian. A lot, of the, kingdom, know, a lot of the kingdom of God stuff is just like, oh, you think this doesn't matter? It matters. It but does matter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now you and you li- think ooh. this thing matters, but actually this thing matters. Gosh, like, it that'll is... light you up if you consider it. You know, like, yeah. instead of being feeling doomed, that's like, ooh, it feels like, ooh, I got some adrenaline from that. Hell yeah. Like, totally. I, like it pumps me up to think yeah. that. Like, scary. It's very scary. Like, I got to jump out of an airplane now. Like, things matter. Holy shit. Life is exciting. Like, yeah. that's the way it feels to me. Yeah. I'm, I really resonate with that. All right, Josh. Yeah. Bring us home. No, a hundred percent. I mean, I think I, I love it. And I think the one thing to Dan, something you said like five minutes ago that I, that we didn't talk about much, but that for me, at least where I'm at right now matters way more than I thought it ever did was the aesthetic aspect of things. The, cause I, I, we grew up in, in a culture and also in a tradition where the mind, the brain was the thing that was always focused on. But yeah. I've also more recently, sorry to use woo-woo language, but have been open to the knowledge that I find within my heart and also within yeah. my body. And the heart and the body has been the thing that has saved my, quote, Christianity. Um, and I it's think also that a unique matters. Protestant problem. Like Pope yeah, Francis. The, the fucking Protestants. God. Pope Francis in his <laughs> speech about like how the church will be relevant in the modern era. He's like beauty aesthetics. Yeah, That's his answer. Absolutely. Yeah, who is so it? that's a Catholic approach, and we just don't take that as Protestants, right? Yeah, because so. we're we have our heads up our asses because we think the Enlightenment is the only thing that matters, and like <laughs> something like that, yeah, something like that. That's the uneducated Josh Patterson take in twenty seconds. Um, but yeah, guys, this was a super fun conversation. It was very helpful yeah. for me just because um, I I saw, and this is something I say a lot on the show, but there's something that Rob Bell said when when he was on here. He said there's an invitation. Uh, to go deep enough into our stories and our lives that other people find themselves there as well. And what has been helpful for me within this conversation is I think that both uh, Dan and Matt, both of you 
have shared enough about yourself that I was able to find and identify myself within both of your stories. And that brings, that means something, right? That does something. And so I appreciate uh, that from both of you. Um, and this has been great. I'm excited to, to share it with everybody. So Dan, keep doing what you're doing. Matt, like I'm a total fanboy when it comes to Emery. So keep being fucking awesome. And as, right if, Emery, so. <laughs> as if Matt or I could stop doing the things we're compelled to keep doing. That's oh, true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Very little choice in the matter for my, but view. I, I appreciate it. And I actually found this really helpful as well. And I, I'm excited to listen back again and kind of be reinvigorated by it. I, uh, I'm processing through a lot of this stuff myself right now. Oh, it's really helpful for me. And if I can filter it through somebody like you and, and Dan, where I have a, fr I, I know I have a freedom to Dan to interject or say, or, or say, right. You know, these environments where I can speak freely, I get to hear what I'm saying. And then I go, is that right or not? And that, yeah. I felt like, uh, you know, that when I, these must be thoughts that I've been having and now I get to find out if they check out and some <laughs> of them check out pretty good. And, I, I, ones I thought might would bother y'all don't. So that's starting to feel good. So I think it's a productive thing to reflect on and a couple things where I can think deeper about. So that's the, that's the point of this, but I've enjoyed the conversation on that pure level. So thank you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right on. Thanks, thank Josh, you guys. for having us, man. Thanks for putting it together. Yeah, for sure. And listeners as always, thank you so much for hanging out and uh, hopefully we'll see you next time. Go caps peace and love guys go peace giants let's bring this thing home beat la <laughs> Woo. you're talking about baseball dan i have trained soren when i go the giants won he goes yay and puts up his <laughs> arms and he's 19 months old and that's I'm awesome so happy about that yeah perfect, perfect.